Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula. What is going on, everybody? It is Mark Cardula, lead faculty and founder here at Modern Pain Care. Happy to be with you for another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast. Uh, we're trying to hit a, a regular cadence of episodes for yeah. you guys. We had a little, obviously, hiatus, which for those of you who listen, you're probably aware of some of the reasoning behind that. Been, we got a healthier, happier Mark and Jared behind the mics that are hopefully going to continue to deliver some stuff on a regular basis. But in a much uh, appreciated and needed break that kind of recharged the batteries a bit. But we're, we're going to have an episode today that Jared and I were talking about. We're going to try not to get too political because we try to steer away from getting too political in our discussions on a podcast. It's mainly about helping people in pain and helping clinicians who are dealing with people in pain. Um, obviously, you can't talk about that without culture and politics and some of that stuff getting involved. But one of the rules we have at our clinic, and I, we'll, we'll talk to Jared here in a second, but is like really steer away from religious and political discussions in the clinic because it's just a grounds for, you know, not good patient satisfaction and stuff. And we've had some incidents in our clinic and things, nothing horrible, but with patients not too happy when political discussions start permeating the clinical culture and things like that. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that, but let's first see how our co-host here is doing. How are you doing there, Jared Hall? Doing good, man. Um, you know, as uh, as I mentioned before we came on live, uh, my world has just been uh, putting out fires that are starting all over the place because uh, it's Texas and uh, it's 105 plus degrees every day. We're just having AC units go out left and right. So you get to see the other part of patient care, right? Uh, patient satisfaction and, and patient outcomes are not going to be good when it's uh, when it's 100 degrees inside the clinic. So Got to, you know, got to focus on that side of things too. keeping the facility running and the uh, the climate in a reasonable zone for optimal patient care. Could you could you rebrand it like Bikram physical therapy or something like that, where it's kind of just like, you know, hot yoga, something maybe I'm, you got to be flexible these days in the in the market. What do you think? Yeah, I thought I thought about it, uh, but I think it would be more the staff, <laughs> more the clinicians that were giving me the issue than the patients. Yeah, yeah, I'd be in trouble. I can bear. I sweat just thinking about heat, so I would be not a my my non-specific effects of uh, probably my smell and the profuse sweating would probably be not helping me in the patient outcome game if I was dealing with 105. I know you guys get a little humidity down there, which we're a little humid here in Phoenix for this time of year, but yeah. We could get into the, the climate things because there's many to many things to complain about in the hot heat here in the summers uh, in Phoenix and uh, Fort Worth. But let's talk a little bit about our article. The, the article's um, in reference, and we'll, we'll link it in the show notes and things. Um, the active future for the passive therapist. There's been some discussions on social media um, that have brought this up. So I thought it was worthwhile that Jared and I cover. It's been an article by David Nichols, um, kind of a friend of ours at Modern Painter. He's been in some of our, um, we had uh, uh, kind of a, master class where we had he was involved with, along with Mick Thacker, Jerry Durham, Roger Carey, Matt Lowe, and a bunch of others on you know the the um unpacking of the evidence this car is really, really what goes into the evidence and we'll you will be releasing that actually here in a, a few weeks as far as something that you guys can peruse and, and look at. But as far as this article goes, it it kind of focuses on kind of some of the current uh drivings and and David Nichols kind of view of how we're kind of really 
um, moving away from passive care and that it's, uh, you know, in reference to an article that was published, I, I don't have the exact citation of the article he references, um, but talking about, uh, you know, how we're in a transition point in physical therapy, the article that he's kind of critiquing that we need to be moving away basically from passive care and more to active parent care and people be more self-reliant and self-sufficient individuals and these type of uh, things. And, and David talks and, and we won't probably get into the deep depths of it, but you know how it's a lot more driven on political and cultural narratives than it is truly on best practice narratives that there's this kind of movement towards, uh, there's some discussions of neoliberalism, which again, we, we won't get too, too much in that, into that, but you know, neoliberalism, um, describing the ideal citizen under neoliberalism, who is the autonomous, entrepreneurial, and endlessly resilient and a self-sufficient figure whose active promotion helped to justify the dismantling of the welfare state and the unraveling of democratic institutions and civil engagement. We won't get into the depths of that discussion, but just basically that, you know, this push that we should all be self-sufficient, you know, be able to handle things on our own type uh, people and not have to rely on healthcare. Or, and I don't think maybe not as much healthcare, but on other people's passive approaches for us to get better in physical therapy. So that's kind of the background of the article. And I thought it was worth discussing because I think there's some trends and I'm going to let Jared kind of talk to him a little bit of what we see out there, uh, maybe on a few, uh, you know, select viewpoints that maybe get popular in social media yet, maybe some different things we see when it comes down to real life in the clinic. So Jared, can you kind of lay out some of what you can, maybe your perspective on the article and also some of the things we spoke about before we jumped on here live? Yeah, for sure. When I was reading through this and, you know, I encourage everybody to go read it themselves. It's only like a two and a half page viewpoint article, you know, so it's a it's a pretty quick read. Um, when I was reading through it, I had I had some mixed feelings. I had some different, uh, you know, opposing thoughts come up. And I, I think I, I have a fairly good grasp on where um, Nichols is coming from. Uh, and the impetus to write this viewpoint, um, because when you look out into social media land right now and when you read certain, um, you know, popular journals in the musculoskeletal care, physical therapy world right now, there, there's a there's a handful uh, of researchers and there's a there's a couple of groups or institution that teach continuing continuing education and, you know, run podcasts, et cetera, that sort of thing that, um, that kind of have a pretty aggressive view against the utilization of, of passive care. And in particular, uh, the main thing that has probably been discussed the most is manual therapy, because it's probably the biggest and most consistent, uh, passive care that is utilized by most musculoskeletal clinicians or by a lot of them. So I, I think that when David looks out or Dave looks out into, uh, what he sees online and what he sees being published, he probably perceives a pretty aggressive attack on passive care, uh, but really, I, I don't know, in my in my perspective um, and in, in my everyday experiences going into and out of a lot of different clinics and working with a ton of different clinicians through mentorship and, and teaching in a few different you know, physical therapy universities. Um, that is that is not what I believe is actually the norm. You know, this this opposition to passive care and, and, and to manual therapy. When I walk into a lot of clinics, when I come behind a lot of therapists and treat patients that they have also treated, um, by and large part, uh, some form of passive care is almost always a part of that patient's care plan. And, 
you know, whether it's manual therapy, whether it's heat packs, cold packs, that sort of thing, most often manual therapy. Um, I, I see that as actually the norm by and large part. And when I look across, you know, large volumes of patient visits where, you know, I, I have the, the, benefit of being able to see billing units and that sort of thing for huge institutions. And you get to see how many manual therapy units are billed and you get to equate that to how many patient visits have been performed. Uh, in general, we almost all, we have almost a one-to-one uh, ratio. When I look at, you know, multiple different companies and, and organizations, at least in the state of Texas, the state of California, the state of uh, Oregon and Utah, you see almost a one-to-one ratio of manual therapy units to patient visits. It's just slightly less, but there is a ton of manual therapy units built. So um, while I see the, the reason behind this viewpoint article, I've, I feel like it maybe has a hyper-focus on um, a select group of individuals and, and, you know, researchers and, and a, a narrative that is a loud narrative on social media, but it's not necessarily the most, uh, predominating narrative. Uh, so that was my, the first thing that jumped out to me from, from everything that Nichols wrote. So I'd like to hear your perspective on that, Mark. Yeah. You know, I think uh, as always, the needle kind of swings, uh, you know, pendulum swings back and forth. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think rightfully so there's some narratives around some of our traditional passive care things, as far as like when we're talking about mechanisms and what the explanatory models we're using to humans in front of us can be. And I think a, a lot of the self-sufficiency stuff comes from, you know, clinicians and researchers who are dealing with a lot of chronic, you know, especially chronic low back pain and stuff. I, you know, I think of Peter O'Sullivan's group. I know they've kind of pushed for, you know, you know, a lot of self-sufficiency and things like that. And, and rightfully so, I think for the population you're serving, that might be a hundred percent like, Hey, if this person's been through passive careville and unfortunately where passive careville has convinced them of this, I'm a broken, frail, weak, you know, human who's got all these faults that need passive, you know, correcting, then I think there's valid concerns of passive care in that vein. And I, but I also look at students who come and we've been fortunate to, to interact with quite a few clinicians earlier in their career where they come out and they see a lot of these social media narratives and feel like I should not be doing any hands-on care. I can definitely re- you know, refer to numerous Instagram messages and things like this. Why should I be doing any manual therapy at all? Why should I be doing this as low value stuff? I mean, that was the narrative I'd get asked to me. And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, if you have narratives of like fixing and correcting and <clears throat> convincing somebody they're broken. But again, who makes the judgment on if it's high value or low value? And I think this goes to this article as well Is like a lot of it's more on economic incentives than it is based on true. Do we know what the human in front of us <clears throat> would prefer? And I just think there are some times, and again, I don't impose manual therapy on patients, but I offer it as like a way to help you know, help with the sensitivity and some of the pain um, that they're dealing with and it, don't position it as a centerpiece and things like that. And often patients are in situations when they come to us. And again, I don't know this personally until I ask them, but you know, what do you think about hands-on care for you? Do you think, you know, possibly doing some soft tissue work or maybe working on some movements around some joints passively that we can possibly do to, to help decrease some of the pain and improve your movement would be something you're interested in. If they say no, then yeah, passive care isn't part of the gig, but I don't make that judgment immediately because I've decided that, well, you know, this is all passive, horrible, low value care. I think it's, 
it's something that the patient's voice needs to be part of that discussion on if it is. And then if it is something of interest, then we use current evidence and current science to understand that, hey, I need to be pushing a narrative about this that doesn't have the patient only wanting to lay on a plinth for, you know, eight, 10 to 12 visits and not do anything active because that should there should be some conditions and some explanations upon that that do it. But I, again, just to kind of go back to what I see in the student population and the early professional population, I think there is some and probably a little bit of mis, uh, yeah, misunderstandings of what some of the narratives of, of um, you know, the current researchers are, but also maybe some folks very vocal on social media that, you know, passive care, I think with this big strength and conditioning push, which I, th- I think has been a great push in our profession to help us be better at prescribing and dosing exercise and, and getting people into more active roles. I think there are maybe some folks on the, as with any movement that are more like anti, you, you know, don't waste your time with manual therapy and you should never even, you know, bother with manual therapy or laying your hands on people. I think some of the ridiculous narratives around it, you know, obviously need to kind of head into the sunset, but um, yeah, some of the you know, human necessity of touch and the value of touch and the value that humans in pain may ascribe to it is makes it a worthwhile intervention. And again, who's making that decision us, or do we actually have a voice of the person in front of us that we're keeping in, in mind when we're, when we're uh, deciding those things. What do you think, Jared? Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately it comes down to the, the, the reality that the value is somewhat subjective, right? There's, there's value that people can perceive value is it, it really is a perception. Um, are we placing emphasis on the financial value, you know, like what's the least amount of dollars that we can spend to get somebody uh, reporting that they feel better subjectively on some scale? What's the least amount of, you know, healthcare utilization, you know, number of visits or time in the system or whatever it is, what's the least amount of insurance utilization? Uh, You know, those are one type of value, but the other types of value, like you alluded to, are what does a patient perceive? Uh, how much do they enjoy their care? How much do they think that they're there or feel that they're getting improvement from it? How much, uh, you know, what degree of importance do they place on having, you know, various interventions as part of their healthcare plan? What is their, what is their culture, uh, their cultural expectations tell them about what needs to be part of the healthcare plan. And of course, you can go way down a rabbit hole and dig into um, maybe even how the healthcare system over time has influenced the culture that exists within that area, right? So the, the healthcare providers, because they believed something was good, they made it part of common practice. And because once it became part of common practice for hundreds of millions of patient interactions or, or for generations, well, then that becomes part of the cultural narrative as well. So it's a little bit of a cycle where you're perpetuating this expectation from a cultural perspective that uh, influence you, influences you to have to provide whatever that expectation is. But that's not something that you can just break away from super easy. That's not something that you can just uh, change at the drop of a hat. So it's it's really interesting because when you do zoom out and you look at, um, you know, impact on outcomes, there's no one 
therapy or there's no one intervention that seems to do an awesome job. It, it seems like manual therapy and exercise and stretching and core stabilization and whatever, right. For various different conditions, it seems like they, yeah, they kind of do about the same. If you zoom out and look over the course of a year, um, there might be some nitty gritty, you know, arguments you can get into on uh, in the first two weeks or the first four weeks or the first six weeks or the first 12 weeks. And again, those are really difficult conversations to have because we don't have mounds of data on that. That's really well controlled. Um, But when I started to learn a little bit more about that, I I got a little bit less staunch on my stance of the, uh, the role of passive care um, in a, a patient's management of various musculoskeletal conditions. And, and I think that um, I've also developed a different perspective on maybe passive care. Uh, I don't think that manual therapy in particular has to be completely passive. I think that manual therapy can have active components to it and it can have self-reflective components to it. It can have interoceptive components to it. So a person just because they're physically passive doesn't mean that they're neurologically or psychologically passive during the treatment. And I think that maybe that's something that I don't see spoken about very often. Yeah, no, I, I, that's completely you know, obviously tickles my biases of how we need to be thinking of manual therapy versus this kind of passive recipient and mechanically oriented reasoning and thinking process. Yeah, you're right. They're physically, they are kind of passive, but when you're modifying pain through just passive nudging on, on joints and things like that, and they see changes in that, that can be an opportunity for them to self-reflect on the, on their situation and it's, it's ability to change. There's just a lot of things you can do with passive care, whether it be, be it manual therapy or other, I agree with you. There's not a, there's many modes of manual therapy out there and, and some have some very grandiose, you know, uh, theories behind them that we won't get into some of that critique that we don't really have a good founding of science with them. But sometimes I would say that the more grandiose sounding a technique is, especially to the patient, the more opportunity for lovely mechanisms of, of placebo and nonspecific effects to drive amazing effects. I mean, just watch late night TV for God's sakes about some of the crazy passive things that people claim have saved their lives and been miracles to, to turn the tide of, of a horrible journey of chronic pain, which again, if you look at it from a scientific research perspective, it's ridiculous. But if you look at it from a human perspective of somebody finding something that gives them hope and belief that they're healing, you know, but again, do, do we need to take that stuff and, and use, um, you know, poor form and, 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 you know, use horrible marketing tactics and stuff to, to sell this? No, I think you can just be a good human in front of the other person in front of you and, and use that reasoning of, hey, there are probably some active psychological and neurologic processes going on as I'm doing this passive care that I should be able to have a communication with as much as I can, as much as we can tap into that black box up there. Um, and, and use it to our advantage when you're doing manual therapy. I think that's what we teach in our complete clinician course, as far as utilizing those mechanisms, when you're thinking of what you're doing with your hands on, not just, you know, freaking the driving me nuts millimeter, you know, reasoning of facet wiggling and, and things that is paralysis by analysis that, um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm bitter about it still because it, it, it derailed my pursuit in my career for a while, as far as I was focusing on probably the wrong things when it came to developing as a clinician doesn't mean that those good hands-on skills aren't important. It's just maybe some of the reasoning behind them isn't as is, is, is airtight. But anyway, we're, I'm getting off into the manual therapy world as far as, and we've been getting, cause that's the probably most popular passive 
um, treatment that, you know, we refer to, but I mean, you can think of that as massage therapy. God can get into Reiki, can get into myofascial release. You can get into soft tissue massage. You can get into, there's a litany of dry needling, um, uh, quite a few things. And I think, um, again, some patients provide value to that. And one thing I want to talk about as I've just drawn on here is just, we create cultures in our clinics. You know, if you're in a clinic, who's like very active sports driven, very minimal to no manual therapy, you're going to get a skewed view of the world. And that's the same thing for the folks that are all in passive care clinics that all oh, my, all patients want this. Well, you've created a thing that, that you're, you're serving that, you know, thing and your is your primary thing. You're going to attract people that that's their desired way of operating with, you know, pain. So, um, we just got to be careful that we don't ascribe judgment on that. This is the way everybody should do because I've created a culture in my clinic that that's the way we operate. Um, there are clinics that don't operate that way that I'd argue you probably have equally decent outcomes. Um, it, as much as that hurts us to hear that, you know, our way isn't the only way. Um, yeah, the, the cultural influences and subcultures we create within our clinics can kind of skew our view of the world for sure. Anything else you think we need to, because we've steered pretty good away from the politics today. I'm just proud of ourselves here so far, Jared. Anything else you think we need to touch on without getting too deep into the depths of uh, philosophy and politics? Uh, no, the only thing that I had left was actually not not political in nature, but <clears throat> it was it was a perception that I got um, while reading the article is that it was it was very clear to me, at least as a reader, whether it's accurate or not. The message that I got was that uh, Nichols was not a fan of neoliberalism and he kind of showed his cards in the way that he uh, constructed this article. Um and as you mentioned, you know, neoliberalism is the, the concept of unfettered free markets will eventually let everything work out in the wash and you'll get to the solution with uh, free markets will solve issues as people take on more autonomy and they're more self-sufficient. And it's a very individualized viewpoint of, uh, you know, that things should, should run, everything should fall back on the individual to be successful and, and take care of themselves and that sort of thing, which you know, uh, a lot of people globally would probably perceive that that's very much the way that, uh, the mentality of the United States has traditionally been, you know, very, you know, I can do it myself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, take care of yourself and so on and so forth. I, th I thought that that was interesting that, um, you know, there may be readers that, that very much have those views and there may be patients that very much have those views as well. Like I don't need this passive crap. I don't need you to rub on me. I don't need you to do this. Teach me how to, you know, teach me how to be healthy or teach me how to manage this myself. And I think just like we shouldn't overlook um, a person's preference or, or desire to have a passive care as part of their treatment plan, we shouldn't force a passive treatment plan on people who maybe want to take more active uh, of a role in their care as well. So there's a flip side to that coin because th th there are a lot of personality types and, and I'm sure that's culturally dependent that, that do view things that way. No, I uh, completely agree. And I think being a clinician who can bring that discussion in the room and allowing it to be a equal exchange, that intersubjective third space where two experts in the room, patient and clinician, the patient's the expert on their preferences, their desires, their culture, their experience bring it in the room and see maybe passive care isn't even of an interest to them. Maybe it is. And maybe you can tailor your care accordingly to, 
to either of those. Um, instead of like, I am not, uh, Roger Carey has some interesting YouTube videos of like the evidence-based therapist who like goes way over the edge of like, well, this randomized controlled trial says I should never touch you with my hand, you know, and it uh, tongue in cheek took look at like some of the folks that took evidence-based practice too far. But I, you see that as like passive care is not worthy of you. So I should never apply to you. And you, patients are like, well, that's worked for me in the past. I kind of dig that. It's been very helpful part of my care. I'm, um, so yeah, I think in the end, is it about us or is it about the person, people we serve? Obviously there's times where maybe passive care has become over-reliant on and, you know, dependent that's kind of preventing patients from moving forward. But that's again, a discussion you can have with patients and not making any assumptions, you know, in each unique encounter, you, you allow that open door to an open discussion to be had and, and come to a, you know, mutually agreed upon role that passive care may or may not pair play in their their plan of care and you move forward but again i think we've you know beat the death the narratives that hopefully we're using behind passive care and not perpetuating you know beliefs of frail broken humans that get them you know locked in a, a belief system that they're not able to ever get to a autonomous self-sufficient you know self-reliant um, you know person in the world so yeah it's a, there's a definite balance that we need to strike so Hopefully we've touched upon some topics that uh, have, you know, stimulated you guys just thinking, I'd be curious to see what you all think. What is, you know, as you're listening to this, maybe jump on our Instagram feed or our, our uh, Facebook page um, and, and just let us know what your thoughts are on the episode. We'll, we'll put a post up um, as we release this. And I'd be just curious to see what your thoughts are. I'm always interested to hear different perspectives, Jared, and I always like to hear, see that and, and we'll, we'll pipe in and respond to just, you know, keep it all nice and friendly. So we're not getting too overly political. I think that's, it's, we're welcome to discuss politics and stuff like that. Cause it's, you can't within the world, you know, navigate things without some of those cultural and political things going on. But, um, I th wish we could just do it in a more, you know, friendly human centered way of doing it and respecting that not everybody needs to believe everything we all believe, but we can live in worlds where those things are allowed to exist and we can respect each other. But anyway, anything you want to leave folks with today, Jared? No, no, no. I, th I think we've probably covered enough. We've probably gone over our time limit. Um, you know, if we need to, if there's enough in interest, we can we can revive the conversation for an episode part two. That's right. That's right. So let us know on, in the uh, comments on social media what you guys think. And if you want to hear any more of uh, Jared and Mark's ramblings on this, maybe we'll bring on some special guests. Who knows? Well, we can definitely uh, do whatever you guys think will best serve you guys in your practice. So until then, hope you guys have a great rest of your day and we will talk to you soon. This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Karchula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast.